Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Good morning, GBC. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. I'm glad you guys are here. We are in week two of a new series called Come to Me. We're taking some time looking at Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. If you have a Bible, you can start making your way in that direction. Uh, Last week, Dustin kicked off the series for us, and now he is over at Oakview Baptist in Okeechobee kicking off the series for them. Uh, We realized, you know what, let's not teach different sermon series here. Uh, Let's do the same thing. And so next week, I'll be over at Oakview, uh, and Dustin will be back here kicking off week three of this conversation. Uh, And we're spending some time listening to some of the most precious words we'll ever hear out of the mouth of Jesus. Come to me. Let's just dive in. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Five of you. You're not there yet? I understand. We got it on the Bible in the sky. I'm waiting. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. All right. I got permission. Here we go. (laughs) Come to me. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus issuing an invitation. Who's he talking to? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All who labor and are burdened, your translation might say. Come to me and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you missed last week or you're new to grace, we're taking the time to explore this invitation of Jesus before we switch gears and have seven or eight weeks of introducing you to different spiritual habits and rhythms, what my Baptist folk like to call spiritual disciplines. So that we can continue growing and nurturing our love affair with Jesus and with one another. Now, here's why we're having this conversation on coming to Jesus. For the last couple of years, we have made a big deal about living in community and on mission. For the first six months of the year, we walked through the New Testament book of Acts And saw this picture painted of what happens when the Spirit of God comes to live in the people of God in order to fulfill the mission of God. And we have encouraged and called you, Grace Bible Church, to live in community and on mission. To make disciples where you live and where you work, where you learn and where you play. But you know what we haven't done? As long as since I've been here, we've never spent any considerable amount of time teaching on different spiritual rhythms and habits and practices to keep us anchored and rooted in Jesus while we're living sent. And so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to give you some rhythms for the long haul so that we might stay centered in Christ as we're living sent. But we wanted to start here 
with Jesus to make sure that we didn't get it all backwards because we believe that Jesus is the agent of transformation, him and him alone. He's the one who transforms us. He's the one who grows us up. He's the one that conforms us to look more and more like him. We believe that our fruitfulness as the people of God is directly tied to our intimacy with the person of God. This is why Jesus' invitation here in Matthew chapter 11 is to himself. He says, come to me. Not come to church. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm glad you're here. We counted a high privilege to be able to point you to Jesus on a Sunday morning. But Jesus' invitation wasn't to a place, it was to a person, to himself. It also wasn't an invitation to a set of practices. Though we have every intention of giving you a set of practices too. No, Jesus' invitation wasn't to a place and a set of practices, it was to a person. Now, a place and practices, those are important. They're part of the journey. But they only serve us when we see them for what they are. Vehicles meant to drive us into a place of intimacy with Jesus. I fear that many of us tend to worship places and practices as deliverers. Instead of allowing them to be the escorts that bring us to the deliverer himself. And so we wanted to start here with Jesus. His invitation to himself. The one who promises to transform us. To make us more like himself. The one who according to Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 is the one who promises to give us rest. Are you weary? Church online, are you weary? Yes, you're at home sitting on the couch. So tired you couldn't get here. No, I'm joking. I'm glad you guys are with us this morning. Church online. But Jesus makes this invitation to those who are weary and who are tired. Dustin hung out just on verse 28 last week. On this invitation to those who are weary and worn out. And you don't have to be a Christian in this room to be weary. This may be the first time you've been in a church in ages. And chances are pretty good you are just as weary as the person next to you. And there are all types of weariness, aren't there? Physical, emotional, physical, psychological. Come to me. Jesus invites us, all who are weary and burdened. Weary evokes this image of people who are exhausted because of their work, who are exhausted on the journey of life. And burden, burden shows us this picture of people weighed down with heavy loads, bending beneath the weight of whatever it is that they don't know how to figure out how to resolve in their lives. And weariness has got to be one of the greatest hindrances to human flourishing right now. In our world, we are tired, tired of sickness, tired of division. We're worn out. We're burdened. And if you have any compassion in your bones at all, you're not just burdened about the stuff in your life. You're burdened about the stuff that the people you love and that are closest to you are walking through as well. And into this weariness, into this burdensome season of life, Jesus issues an invitation to come to him so that we might find rest. And so often we fall victim to the lie that rest is waiting for us at that week's vacation. If I can just get away to the beach, right? If I can just get away to the mountains. If I can just put this phone down and disconnect from the grid and turn off the laptop and disconnect email to come from my phone. Like if I can just escape, then, then, then we can find a little bit of rest. But Jesus places rest squarely on his shoulders. Come to me. 
Come to me and I will rest you. Did you hear that last week? Dustin pointed this out. That if we were reading a Greek New Testament right now, we would find that the emphatic in the language is on the I. That means that the force of the sentence is on the I. Jesus is saying, I, hey, you who, me, me, Jesus. I'm the one who's going to rest you. What's the implication? We've tried to find rest in all the other places. All the other practices, all the other things. And Jesus says, I will rest you. And then he starts talking about a yoke. That's our objective this morning. To try to unpack what does he mean by a yoke? An easy yoke and a light burden. An easy yoke and a light burden. Have you ever had a burden that was light? I didn't think so. Some of y'all. You know what a yoke is? Yeah, let me show you a picture of what a yoke is. A literal yoke. This, this was a yoke. This was a piece of farming equipment. And it's in exactly what Jesus had in mind. He wanted to paint this picture for his listeners. It's not the only thing he meant by a yoke. We'll get into that in just a minute. But Jesus wanted his listeners to hear and understand a yoke. A physical, literal piece of farming equipment. See, Jesus' audience were largely an agrarian and all agricultural people. They knew all about farming. And while this isn't the only thing, man, Jesus wanted them to know what a yoke was, what its significant was. And here's how a yoke worked. You would put a yoke on your, you ready? Your beasts of burden. Your oxen, you'd put it around the necks of your oxen and you'd attach a plow to the yoke and then your animals would pull that equipment and they would plow the field for you. But a yoke was also a symbol of servitude in the Bible. When you were slaves, in order to emphasize the weight of oppression, the yoke was sometimes in the Bible described as a yoke of iron. It was also a symbol of a burden of slavery and taxes that the people of God had to give. And oftentimes freedom from oppression was described in poetic and prophetic literature as the yoke being broken over us. In fact, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, God commanded him to wear a yoke around his neck and go around Jerusalem. He even had to go and send a yoke to all of the kings of the neighboring countries. He literally had to get on Amazon and send them there. You know why? Because God wanted Jeremiah to tell all these neighboring kings, hey, we need to submit to the yoke of Babylonian rule. Israel was going to fall. You'll find out about that soon, students. A yoke was not easy. It was an oppressive instrument. It was used for hard, hard work. It was a symbol of a great oppressive burden. Nothing was easy about being yoked. The burden was not Light. And, and both of these statements of Jesus, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Both of these statements are a bit like oxymorons. You know what an oxymoron is? It's a figure of speech that takes two contradictory terms and puts them together. Here's an example of an oxymoron. Jumbo shrimp. Get it? Here's another one. Small crowd. You ever heard this one? Hey, can I get an exact estimate, please? You've clearly misunderstood me. Crash landing, pretty ugly. You get the point, right? Those are much funnier when I wrote them down in my notes. I got Jason to laugh. That makes it worth it. 
an easy yoke and a light burden. What's he talking about? Well, to unpack that, we need to remember that Jesus, Jesus wasn't a farmer. He was a teacher. Jesus didn't literally carry around this wooden piece of equipment as he went city to city proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus was a teacher. Say rabbi. A rabbi simply means teacher. Jesus was a teacher. He was so much more than a teacher, though. He was also the image of the invisible God. He was Messiah. He was God in human flesh. But if you happen to be, happen to be a first century Jew and Jesus showed up to town and came to church, came to synagogue, odds were pretty good you would put him in the category of teacher, of rabbi. And being a rabbi like Jesus was, he had what every rabbi in his day had, two things. He had a yoke and he had disciples. See, a yoke in Jesus' day and age, it wasn't just a tool for farming. Again, sure, Jesus wanted his hearers to understand how a yoke worked and how it operated and how it had to bear on the invitation that Jesus was making. But he also knew that first century Jewish people understood that a yoke had significant religious play in their world. Extreme significance religiously. See, a yoke was a common expression in first century Judaism of the way in which a rabbi would read, understand, and apply Torah. Let me say that again. A yoke in first century Judaism was the way in which a Jewish teacher would read, interpret, understand, and apply and live out God's word, Torah. The first five books of the Jewish scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This was the textbook for the Jewish people. And to be a Jewish rabbi, you needed to give your life to studying and understanding Torah. For instance, a, a rabbi's yoke would be how they practiced Sabbath. Uh, a rabbi's yoke, an example would be how they cleansed certain utensils for the service of worship. Uh, an example of a rabbi's yoke would be how they solved a dispute between two farmers when one ox gored another ox, but not accidentally, habitually. I didn't just pull that out anywhere. Exodus 21, go look. This was the kind of stuff that a Jewish rabbi, that a teacher of the law of God had to know inside and outside. And so a rabbi's yoke was the way in which he lived out God's word. Was a way in which he understood and interpreted and internalized and lived out Torah. This is what Jesus was inviting those first few followers to do when he said to James and John and Simon and Andrew on the Sea of Galilee, hey, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He was saying, come and take my yoke upon you. Come learn from me. Learn how I live my life. Learn how I pray. Learn how I care and love and serve people. And that's what those first few followers did. Man, they came and they followed Jesus closely. They watched him like a hawk. They mimicked his movements. They, they memorized his mannerisms. They wanted to be just like their teacher in every single way. And yet Jesus speaks of an easy yoke and a burden that was light. What's that mean? Well, before we can unpack that, you, you got to know, church, that not every yoke was easy. There was a yoke of the Pharisees. 
the religious leaders of Jesus's day. You ever wonder why the people Jesus was talking to, why they were so weary and exhausted? Because they were trying to live up to a standard that was so impossible. Here's why they were exhausted. See, the religious leaders of Jesus's day, they had a yoke too. And they wanted to honor God. They loved God so much. They wanted to faithfully live out Torah as faithfully as they could. They just went about it in a way that created all kinds of exhaustion. Do you know how many commandments there are in Torah? The first five books of the Bible. How many commandments there are for the Jewish people? 613. 613 commandments. And to be a Pharisee, man, you had to nail them. You had to live them all perfectly. You had to dot every I. You had to cross every T. Now, here's what happened. The Pharisees, they loved God, and they wanted to honor God, and they wanted to never violate the law of God. And so you know what they did? They started adding some new fences around the 613. They started building some new boundaries and some new barriers and some different commands. They thought... If we just have some different laws that keep us away from the 613, then there is no chance that we're ever going to get close to violating God's law. These are called the traditions of man. This is what Jesus came and pushed back against the religious leaders. They were creating a whole bunch of commandments that weren't in God's word, and it was exhausting. This is what Jesus says. Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. Matthew 24. You don't need to turn there. Jesus says, Matthew 24, verse 23, 24. Let me, yeah, 23. Matthew 23, verse 1 through 4. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. There's a seat of Moses in every local synagogue, and that's where the synagogue teacher would sit. They would be the one that would presume over the services. They would be the ones to say whether this was truth or error. And Jesus is saying, the Pharisees, the scribes, they sit in the seat of Moses. Verse 2, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to help. The yoke of the Pharisee was a heavy burden. It was hard to bear. And the people that Jesus was talking to, they wanted to honor God. They loved God too, but they were tired They were weary, and so into those weary eyes and hunched over shoulders, Jesus issues in an invitation. He says, hey, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come get in the yoke with me, because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus has an altogether different kind of yoke. So what does he mean by an easy yoke and a burdenless burden? Here's the deal. When Jesus invites us into his yoke, he does so with the intention of doing the heavy lifting. When Jesus invites us into the yoke with himself, he's saying, I want to bear the burden of your worlds. Get into the yoke with me. 
The people of Jesus' day, they were weary and burdened because they were constantly trying to measure up. They were trying to purchase God's love and his acceptance with human currency. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the only ever truly pleasing life to God. Jesus was the only one who truly lived a life that honored God and was an obedient to the law perfectly. And by grace through faith, when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we don't just get the forgiveness of sins. We receive that pleasing life. I know that's disorienting. But Christianity is not about the improvement of our behavior and is not about staying in the boundaries of behavior. It's about being joined to the life of the Son of God and learning to live out of the inexhaustible source and supply of that life. And to the degree, church, that we know that the inexhaustible and indestructible life of Christ has now become our very life, we will know genuine Christian rest because we are learning to trust his life as the source of our life. I, I, I know, I know this is disorienting, but church at the core of Christianity is learning how to live out of the source of another life. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live, I live by faith in him. Why? Because Jesus is alive and well, church. Both seated at the right hand of the Father and dwelling in us through his spirit. And he longs to live his life in us, as us, and through us. And so he invites us to get into the yoke with him, to learn from him. That's why Paul said, hey, it's not about me anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. And Paul had a consciousness now of Jesus and Jesus alone. Hear, hear me, church. There is no rest for the ones who are always working on themselves. Self-consciousness is one of the primary enemies of spiritual growth and transformation. Always working on ourselves. Always looking under every rock for sin. Always rehearsing every conversation, trying to find out what we can repent about. Always looking at ourselves. Always trying to measure up. Always on the hunt for sin. Something to confess. Always taking our own spiritual temperature. Listen, church, you cannot be at rest if you are only ever conscious about your sin. What would happen if we started growing in our consciousness of Christ, his life, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. What would happen? Hear me, folks. People who are always trying hard to be like Jesus are never at rest. This shouldn't shock you. I've been saying this for four years. You can't live the life of Jesus. But you can receive the life of Jesus. And by grace through faith, you can learn to give expression to the life of Jesus. He really does want to live his life through you. As we abide in him and bear much fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the spirit. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, his self-control on display through us. This is why Jesus says, hey, hey, come get in the yoke with me. I, I want you to learn from me. 
What do we learn from Jesus when we get in the yoke with him? You know what we learn when we start to study Jesus' life? You know what question bubbles up to the top for me? Who is Jesus yoked to? When he was on this earth walking in the flesh, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is he yoked to? Easy Sunday school answer. His heavenly Father. Jesus was no self-generating holy man. He was no independent operator. We never find Jesus in the New Testament operating out of an indivisible oneness with his heavenly father. Don't believe me? Let, let me give you some evidence. Jot down all of these verses. I'm going to give you a bunch of them really quick. Just from the gospel of John. Let, let, let me take you on a quick journey. John chapter 5. John chapter 5 verse 19. How do we learn from Jesus in his yoke? What does he have to teach us? John chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Same chapter, John chapter 5, verse 30. Just look down a couple of verses. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and the judgment that I have is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Flip a page, John 6, 38. John 6, 38. Stay with me here. Jot these down so you can go see the context later. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's keep going. John chapter 7, verse 16. Are you starting to see a pattern here in the life that Jesus lived? John chapter 7, verse 16. My teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. Next chapter, John chapter 8, verse 28. You get in the picture? John 8, 28. Listen to this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But I speak just as the Father has taught me. Jesus says, get into the yoke with me. And what do we learn from him? We learn how to live a dependent life. One more that I think is incredibly significant. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 10. Listen to this one. Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus was yoked to the Father so that the Father might dwell in the Son and live out through the Son. And church, we are to be yoked to Jesus who is to dwell in us and to live out his works through us. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because in the yoke with Jesus, hear me. This is where it gets easy. In the yoke with Jesus, you will never face a temptation that is against just you. It is always against the life of Christ in you. Jesus says, get in the yoke with me. You've, you've heard this before, GBC, and it's likely as disorienting now as when you heard me say it and Dustin say it the first time. But there is not a command in the scriptures ever given to just you. Just you died on the cross with Christ, and you have been raised to walk in a new life. You received the very life of Christ, and every command in scripture is a burden if you see it against just you. 
But the commands of God are not a burden to the life of the Son of God in you. This is a game changer, folks. This is why Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. Christ is not just your Lord and your Savior. He's your life. I know. What does that mean? It means that we have been joined to the inexhaustible source and supply of the life of Christ. And Jesus wants to live his life through you. You are the vessel of clay that contains the treasure of the glory of God. You want a statement of value and worth on you today? God the Son dwells in you through his Holy Spirit. The first time divinity and humanity joined itself to a person, we called that person Jesus. The next time that divinity would join itself to humanity, we called that the church. Jesus says, get into the yoke with me. This is why the Apostle John could say in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, listen to this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John the Apostle says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Man, the first time I read that as a young Christian trying to never screw up and always do the right thing, I thought, man, what book is John reading? I'm exhausted trying to never mess up and do everything that God told me to do in his word. But as I've grown in the faith, I've come to see that the commands of God are always a burden for the life that thinks it is separated and out of fellowship with God. But the commands of Scripture are never a burden to the life of the Son of God in and dwelling through us. Listen, church, God would never ask out of you something that he has not already put in you. Jesus would never ask you to go the second mile with an unlovable and unwelcoming character if he did not first join you to his second mile life. He would never ask you to forgive someone 70 times 7 if he did not join you to his limitless forgiving life. But if you see having to forgive your enemies as just against you, you'll fail every time. But if you see it against the forgiving one who calls you home and is longing to express his forgiveness through you, you're going to find rest. And you're going to walk out the abundant life we were promised. Here's the secret of learning to live from a place of Christian rest, church. The more you try to please God, the more restless you will become. I, I know that sounds backwards. I know that sounds backwards, but the life that is truly pleasing to God already abides in you. Even when you blow it, you are joined to the pleasing, righteous, holy, blameless life of Jesus Christ. And if you could begin to discern, to discern the voice of the enemy who condemns and criticizes you versus the voice of your heavenly father who says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're going to begin to live from a place of rest. Letting God name us and not letting our sin name us any longer. Not letting the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver name us any longer. 
The call of Christian maturity is to trust Jesus to be himself in and through us. The trust is to a person, Jesus, because the rest comes from that person. In other words, friends, whatever it is that is wearying you, whatever is burdensome, whatever it is that you are trying to shoulder on your own, especially those things that you need to do in order to be loved and accepted by God, Jesus is saying, come and consider my yoke because my burden is light. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you get in the yoke with me, when you learn how to live from a life of peace and dependency and trust in me, you're going to find that my shoulders are broad enough to bear your every burden. My back is strong enough to carry the weight of your world. My life is significant and sufficient enough to meet your every longing. And my promises are big enough to anchor you in my peace. Come to me. This isn't a one and done, folks. This is a daily, moment-by-moment invitation to get into the yoke with Jesus and to anchor ourselves in his life, to live the life. Grace, have you come to Jesus yet? Have you come? Have you gotten in the yoke yet with Jesus? It's not hard. We're called to confess and believe. We confess, we agree with God that I'm broken. That we live in a sinful and fallen and broken world and I have not escaped unscathed. I am broken as well. And yet Jesus, who was whole and is whole, came to be broken and undone for me. In other words, Jesus became sin so that I might become righteous. It's the great exchange. Have you come to Jesus? We, we want to give you an opportunity to do that as we end our time this morning. Last week, Dustin issued the invitation as well, saying, hey, come, come to Jesus. We're going to have some folks down front here to pray with you and for you. You don't need them, but they're going to be here to help you. But we want to give you a minute or so to come to Jesus, to acknowledge that Jesus came for us. I've got some words up on the screen here. Uh, there's no magic. There's no magic in these words. But, but they might give shape to the prayer of your heart. And so would you come to Jesus? Where you're sitting, maybe here at the altar. He's got rest for you the rest of knowing that you are perfectly loved and accepted by your Father in heaven and that you have received in Christ everything that you need to live the life that God has called you to live. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers.
Hey, with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you came, if you confessed Jesus, if you said, hey, Jesus, man, I want your rest. Maybe you don't even know what that means. Maybe you just read the words off of the screen and you believe them. Would you slip up a hand and let us know so that we can rejoice, so that we can come alongside of you, so that we can pray with you and help you to make some next steps. I'll just give you a moment. I see your hands. Thank you, guys. Praise God. Church Online, we're going to have a decision card in the links. Let us know what God may be saying or doing in your heart. Just another moment. And if you're coming to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe as a believer, you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming. I've been so weary trying to do it on my own. Come to me. Amen. Praise God for a handful of folks coming to Jesus this morning. Amen.